name is James Axel, and I'm a member here at Living Water. It is my honor uh, to bring forth the message today, but before I get started, I want to publicly express my gratitude to uh, Pastor Mike for the opportunity uh, to be able to share the word. I've been coming to Living Water for a couple of years now, and if you had told me that uh, I'd be bringing God's word, I I wouldn't have believed you. And as I look around and I see some of the staff, I see, uh, you know, Pastors Mike and, and Ben and, and Bongo and James, and I'm reminded of the elders, and I know that I will never uh, be able to prepare and deliver a message like them. And so it's truly humbling um, every time God places it upon their heart to give me uh, an opportunity to share a poem or, or the word of God. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely grateful for that. And like Pastor James mentioned at the beginning of the live stream, we are starting a, a new series, The Evil of Easter. Uh, the message that I'm going to be discussing is evil planned. And, and normally during this Holy Week, uh, the emphasis is on the events uh, leading up to the death and including the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord is coming from Jesus's vantage point, or we look at it from a follower of Jesus's perspective. But in this particular series, we want to look at it from those who oppose Jesus, those who were enemies of Christ and as Uh, Pastor Mike and Pastor Ben were were creating this concept and coming up with this idea. I immediately pulled out my cell phone and I started typing notes and I was instantly intrigued because growing up, I was the type of kid, I, I was mischievous and I rooted for the villain in a lot of the movies and a lot of the cartoons growing up. I can remember as a kid, uh, rooting for Wally Coyote time and time again. Uh, I didn't like the road runner. He was arrogant. And I got frustrated because uh, Wally Coyote needed to step his game up. Those Acme products were not working. And so I wanted him to get something a little bit better. And as I got older, I found myself rooting for Drago in Rocky Four. even after he put hands on my man Apollo Creed like that. I still rooted for him. And it, as I got older, just a few years ago, uh, I can remember leaving the movie theater satisfied uh, when Thanos acquired all of the Infinity Stones and snapped his finger. Now, some of you have no idea what, <laughs> what I'm talking about, but I was always intrigued at what would cause someone to reject the mores that had been established. What makes someone uh, shake their fist in rebellion against the God of the universe? And it's with those questions in mind uh, that we turn our attention to the text. So for those of you that have a Bible and those of you that um, have received the iPhone anointing, turn to John chapter 11, verse 45. And we're going to read John chapter 11, verses 45 through 50. And I would humbly ask those of you that are able Uh, to stand for the reading of God's word. John John chapter 11, verse 45 reads, Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priest and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, 
nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. You may be seated. Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity. Um, Lord, I'm extremely grateful, Lord God. There's so many events that are taking place in our world right now that have left us anxious and unsettled, Lord God. But Lord, as we come into this holy week, Lord God, we are reminded, Lord God, that you are still on the throne, that you are still sovereign, you are still in control, Lord God. And so I thank you for your love. It is unfailing, it is unwavering. And Lord, I just pray that uh, you would uh, move through me, Lord God. I pray, Lord God, that you would forgive me of all of my sins, Lord God. And, and I pray that you would help me uh, to declare your word with boldness and with clarity. I pray that you would bless this time that we have together um, virtually, Lord God. But we know that you are in the midst, you are present, and we honor you and we give you all the glory. For it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, the, the animosity that the religious leaders felt toward Jesus had been bubbling up for some time. But in this, we reach a boiling point when we come to this particular passage. Now, to fully understand what's taking place, you would have to read uh, the beginning of chapter 11. And when you read the top of chapter 11 to get the full context, you see that Jesus's friend, Lazarus, was sick. But instead of rushing to his aid, Jesus intentionally decides to stay where he's at and allow Lazarus to die. Now, you may be thinking with with friends like that, who needs enemies? But we understand that Jesus was not lazy, nor did he suffer um, from a lack of compassion. But Jesus did this intentionally because he knew that he would resurrect Lazarus. And so he allowed him to go to sleep so that the father and the son would be glorified once he raised Lazarus from the dead. There are about three dozen Uh, recorded miracles that Jesus performed in Scripture. We know that he did many, many more miracles that went undocumented, but there are about three dozen miracles in Scripture. And it's important to keep in mind that uh, the purpose of these miracles were not simply benevolent acts, but they also bore witness to the words that he proclaimed, and they also uh, bore witness to the power of God. Jesus demonstrated his authority over science, when he walked on water, over sickness, when he healed Peter's mother-in-law, over the Sabbath, when he healed the man with the withered hand, over scarcity, when he fed the multitude with two small fish and five loaves of bread, over the spirit realm, when he cast out the demons of the man who was possessed and drove them into the herd of pigs. And in this particular passage, he demonstrates his authority over sleep when he commands Lazarus to come forth. In that very moment, uh, rigor mortis is reversed, his cells are oxygenated, and his spirit is ushered back into his body. And immediately this scene that was, that was characterized by gloom and mourning has been transformed into worship. Many of the people who came to mourn with Lazarus' sisters have now placed their faith in Jesus because of this latest miracle, but not everyone is impressed. And so some of the people run to the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they report what Jesus did. And this is the straw that broke the camel's back. The Pharisees had had enough. They were tired of being rebuked by Jesus because of their hypocrisy. 
They were jealous of Jesus' popularity amongst the people, and they resented the miracles that he did. There were many times where they tried to entangle Jesus in his speech, and just when they thought they got him, he always got the upper hand. You see, they were so bogged down by trying to keep the law, and they put their confidence in their ability to keep the law. And it's because of that they forgot that the purpose of the law was to ultimately point them to Jesus. And many times they tried to take the law into their own hands, and they would try to kill Jesus, but he always seemed to escape their grasp. And so the Pharisees had a problem on their hand. But since they lacked the political power to be able to deal with Jesus, they took this issue before the Sanhedrin. Now, this council was the religious, uh, the, the religious and legal Jewish Supreme Court, and it was largely made up of the Sadducees, who were the wealthy ruling class. Um, they, they held the office of the high priest, and they were greatly influenced by Greek thought. And it's because of that that they had major theological differences in the Pharisees. They scoffed at the idea of bodily resurrection. They didn't believe in angels. They, didn't be, they weren't concerned with the spirit realm. Their focus was on living their best life now. And so they had a problem with Jesus because Jesus, they, they recognized that people were starting to put their faith and confidence in Jesus, and their desire was to remain in Rome's good graces. And so they knew that the more and more people that called Jesus Lord, this could pose a potential threat because in that day, Caesar was Lord, and they wanted to remain in Rome's good graces. So both parties now are working together for one common cause. This was, this was uh, national security. And so they, they, they view Jesus as a threat. And so much like we've seen the Republicans and the Democrats in recent days working together to get a stimulus bill passed, they compromised. We see that it, during the council, the Pharisees and the Sadducees are coming together because Jesus is a threat in their minds. And this brings me to my first point. When you don't accept what God is doing, you try to figure out ways to get rid of him. But how do we get rid of God? How do you silence the one that spoke the world into existence? How do you eliminate the Alpha and Omega? Well, long before they gathered together and had this conversation, they had already removed God from their hearts. You see, whenever God is not placed on the throne of your heart, there will inevitably come an idol. And that idol will take residence in your heart. It can be your career. Your idol can be your family. It can be money. It can be the the love of pleasure. It can be sex. There are many things that can um, sit on the throne of your heart if God is not there. And for these particular people, it was power. Their hearts were filled with the love of power and influence. Jesus had constantly rebuked the Pharisees because their motives were man-centered. They enjoyed the VIP seating. They loved the shout-outs in the marketplace. They loved to be called rabbi, rabbi. They altered their wardrobe to appear holy. And while this wasn't the Sadducees' issues, they also had a love of power. Like I said, they wanted to remain in Rome's good graces. They enjoyed certain benefits that Rome provided, although Rome could be very uh, oppressive, 
They loved the entertainment. Rome had a sense of law and order. They provided roads that made traveling safer. And so due to these reasons and many other reasons, they fought to hold on to power. Around the 49th verse, um, a gentleman by the name of Caiaphas is introduced. And the Bible tells us that Caiaphas was the high priest. Now, if anybody should have put a stop to this foolishness, if anybody should have halted the discussion of killing Jesus, it should have been Caiaphas because he was the high priest. He had the, 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 the great weighty privilege and responsibility of entering into the holies of holies on the day of atonement. He would burn the end off of the incense and the blood sacrifice. And at that particular time, he represented the mediator between God and the nation of Israel. If anyone should have been in tune with what God was doing in this moment, you would have thought it would have been Caiaphas. And as the men are discussing what they're going to do about Jesus, as they're concerned that the Romans might come and take their place, their position, and that their nation could be turned upside down, Caiaphas inserts his opinion and he says, you guys don't know what you're talking about. He says, it's better for one person to die rather than the whole nation be destroyed. And this is where the the poetry side of me gets excited because the the, the Bible has bars. And I love wordplay. I love double entendres. And so here, Caiaphas is speaking with malicious intent. He's suggesting that Jesus be sacrificed so that the nation, so that their way of living can continue the way it is. But what he doesn't realize is that while he's maliciously scheming on Jesus, he's simultaneously prophesying that because Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, we can be reconciled back to the Father. In other words, what Caiaphas meant for evil, God was using it for good in that very moment. And so after their discussion, as we turn, as we look at verse 53, we see that the men from that day forward, they made plans to put Jesus to death. So now he's no longer able to move about freely. He withdraws to a small uh, village called Ephraim, And the Passover is quickly approaching. And because of this, people are filling Jerusalem in order to become ceremonially cleansed so that they can partake in the Passover. And at this point in time, the miracle that Jesus has performed is gone viral. He's trending on Twitter right now. Everyone is discussing Jesus. They're looking for him. The chief priests and the Pharisees are looking for him because they have plans to arrest him. But the people, they're buzzing with anticipation and they want to know if Jesus will partake in the Passover. And while all this commotion is going on concerning Jesus, he decides to return to Bethany and visit his friends, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. And this brings me to my second and final point. Rather than deny or attempt to silence what God is doing, we need to identify with and be a part of what God is doing. Turning your Bibles to John chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. John chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And it reads, six six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him 
at table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And so here we see that the siblings have thrown a dinner in Jesus' honor. He's the guest of honor. And so as I read those three verses, I started to wonder what, what made the difference. Where some people were planning and plotting on Jesus, what caused Mary, Martha, and Lazarus to honor him and to embrace him into their home and to love on him? I believe the answer is found in John chapter 11, verses 21 through 27. If you turn to that passage real quick, at this particular moment, what's happening is Lazarus had already been dead for four days. And so, like I said, Jesus allowed Lazarus to go to sleep. And once he decides to go to Bethany to heal um, Lazarus, Martha hears that Jesus is coming. And once she hears, she leaves the place where she's mourning and she goes to meet Jesus. And this is the particular conversation that takes place the moment that they meet. In verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Verse 27 is key. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who is coming into the world. And this blew my mind as I read this because in the midst of deep pain, in the midst of tragedy, her brother has recently passed away and she doesn't question Jesus's love. She doesn't doubt if God is good, but in the midst of intense pain and suffering, she publicly proclaims that Jesus is the Christ. She places her faith and her confidence in him. And it's because of that in chapter 12 that we find her faithfully serving. She's an excellent hostess. There was a, uh, there was a, a situation in the past where she got her nerves got frayed. She was serving and she got frustrated and she told on Jesus. But in this particular passage, we see her serving. We see her placing the needs of others above herself. And what about her brother Lazarus? He was dead. And there was nothing in him deserving of another chance, but it was simply by the grace of God. It's because God loved him and it was by God's grace that he rose Lazarus back from the dead. And because of that, we find Lazarus at the table reclining next to Jesus. He's right next to him in communication. He's talking to Jesus. He's listening to Jesus. He's enjoying his company and his presence and spending time with him because of what Jesus did for him. And then we come to Mary, who takes an expensive perfume worth about a year's salary. Now, I love my oils, I love my colognes, but I don't have anything that's worth a year's salary. And she takes this and she breaks it 
over Jesus' feet. And, and as she pours it over Jesus' feet, she begins to wipe Jesus' feet with the strands of her hair. That's radical worship. That's, I can't think of, that's such a great sacrifice to take the very best that you have. I remember growing up in Maryland, um, my parents, they had, they have some fine china that is uh, proudly displayed in the dining room. And I can remember as a kid, sometimes I would come back from playing and I would run into the dining room and I would just pause for a second and I would look at this china. It was in immaculate condition and it was almost like I was at an art gallery. I would just stare at it for a second. I would look at it like it was a a, a Picasso or a Kerry James Marshall, and it was in such good shape because we never used it. Um, we had a paper plate ministry at my house, and although we did have nice dishes, because I know my mom is going to watch this, <laughs> so I don't want to get in trouble with my mom, we had a nice set of dishes that we would use on Sunday and that we would use for holidays, but this fine particular china, we never used it, but here we see Mary giving her very best to Jesus. She didn't even use this oil when Lazarus died, but she saved it for Jesus. And as she begins to worship Jesus, Judas, who was in close proximity to Jesus but never placed saving faith in him, he takes offense. He considers it a waste. He says that the perfume could have been sold because he had other motives. But Jesus quickly steps up. And he defends Mary, recognizing that she is doing this in preparation of his burial. And brothers and sisters, this is a picture of what the church should look like. We see one sibling serving. We see another sibling in communication, listening and talking to Jesus. And we see another one radically worshiping and sacrificing and giving their very best to Jesus because of who he is and because of what he's done. And finally, as we turn to John chapter 12, verses 9 through 11, eventually the crowd finds out where Jesus is. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, Many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. As if planning on murdering Jesus wasn't enough, now they shift their attention to Lazarus, and they want to include him in this evil plot. I mean, just think about the wickedness on display here. Look at the depravity. They are so thirsty for power. And in actuality, it wasn't real power. It was fake power. Rome was clearly in control at this time. Rome had the ability to remove and insert leaders at their discretion, but they were so man-centered. They were so comfortable and focused on the here and now that they were not only willing to kill Jesus, but they were willing to take out Lazarus because many people were placing their faith and confidence in Jesus on account of Lazarus being there. But you know what? Although the chief priest and the leaders were extremely wicked, 
they got one thing right. They recognized the power and influence of Jesus. They recognized that an encounter with Jesus was transformational. They understood that they could not take him lightly. They tried to dismiss him in the past. They tried to insult him. They tried to mock and ridicule those that were captivated and followed him. But now they understood that they could no longer take him lightly because if they allowed him to minister freely, they understood that the world, life as they knew it, would never be the same. You see, their their religion, their their socio-political um, ecosystem had been disrupted. Things had been shaken upside down, and now they were grasping at straws, trying to maintain life as they knew it. And brothers and sisters, you and I, those of us that have placed saving faith in Jesus, we have the gospel that can turn the world upside down. Even in the midst of anxiety, even in the midst of fear, even while some people try to grasp for power and struggle to maintain the normalcy that they have established, we have a better hope, and that is in our resurrected Savior. And so I want to encourage all of us to be like Lazarus and Martha and Mary. Spend time with the Father. Enjoy the relationship that is available. Serve, place, uh, consider others better than yourselves and worship out of a heart of deep reverence and sincerity because he is worthy of all of our praise. Father God, Lord, I just thank you for the opportunity to bring forth this word, Lord God. And Lord, I thank you that you are just You are so good, Lord God, that no weapon that is formed can prosper, Lord God. I thank you that even though the leaders had something in mind, Lord God, you had a greater plan in place. And Lord God, I'm praying that during this time of uncertainty, during this time of fear, where there are shortages and there's uncertainty going around economically, physically, Lord, we know that you are sovereign and you are in control, Lord God. And we recognize that we have to put our faith and our confidence in you, Lord God. May we be unwavering, Lord God. May we be bold in our faith, Lord God. May we trust in you and not lean on our own understanding. Lord, bless those that are fearful. Bless us. Forgive us, Lord God, for the moments and the times that we have bow down to false idols, Lord God, that we haven't given you the preeminence that you deserve, Lord God. Forgive us for that, Lord God. And we thank you, Lord God, that in this season, Lord God, you have cast down many people's false gods and false idols. You have allowed, you've allowed them to see the, the smoking mirrors, Lord God. So many times we OD on entertainment and sports, and we OD on these distractions, Lord God but you deserve our very best, Lord God. We love you, and we give you all the glory and the honor. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.